Come on, clap your hands. Give God praise this morning. He's worthy to be praised. I'm going to get right in the word today. I don't believe I have a long word today. I've just got a word from the Lord that I want to share with you this morning. God's placed on my heart. Um, I assure you, this word did not come easy. It did not come without struggle. And uh, the Lord, I'm praying, is going to help me this morning to deliver this thing with clarity so I'm not misunderstood. And I'm going to be starting in the book of John, chapter 14 through 18. That'll be part of my text, and then I'm going to shift gears. I actually will be speaking a little bit today, I feel, prophetically to this body. I have learned something in the last few months of my life that speaking prophetically is a totally different arena it's not one that I'm really not used to being in, but it seems like that God's moving that way in my life at this time. And uh, the last time I spoke was on a Sunday night, about two, two weeks ago on a Sunday night. And if you were here, I prophesied that the Lord's going to turn this sanctuary into a birthing room. And I asked God, and I said, birthing room? I wasn't familiar with what a birthing room is. You should mean a labor room? He said, no, there's a difference between a labor room and a birthing room. And I asked him, what's the difference? He told me to look it up. And when I looked it up and found the definition of it, it just simply said that a labor room is just pretty much just another room in the hospital. It's just traditional. Traditionally, births are done like they've always been done. But in a birthing room, it said it's more swankier. And I had to look up swankier. That meant full of life and energy. And that God began to speak to me. Also, that the fact that the thing about a birthing room is it's a place where the whole family can experience the delivery. And what God is doing in our midst in this church now is he's birthing things in our lives and people are being born again and people are being given dreams and people's lives are being touched and changed. And I must say the very week after that I spoke that I was here on a Saturday when they was having recovery fest where over 300 people probably were here, people that were dealing with the, the addictions of drugs and some had kicked the habit, some were trying to kick the habit, but I seen God move in this place like a birthing room and people's lives were, people were born again and people were giving birthing dreams and people were visions and things were happening in the body of Christ. So I come to you today and I want to start out in John 10 verse 14 and I'm going to start with today starting to talk about um, Establishing the body of Christ, who truly is the body of Christ? And because, um, you know, there is a body, and then there's those that claim to be a part of the body that aren't really part of the body. So how are we going to know who the real church is? We've talked about this a lot lately between the false church and the genuine church. I think we're going to come to the conclusion the same way they found out the real truth on an old game show called to tell the truth. How many remember that? A few of you all do? Well, let me use this as an illustration of how it's going to happen. That right now, like on that show, everybody's claiming they'd have a guy, somebody on there. Let's just say Gary. And they have three contestants, and every one of them claim to be Gary. Well, right now, we have every church claiming to be the church. If you remember the old show, everybody said they were Gary. And the panel had to try to figure out who real, the real Gary is, just like the world is trying to figure out who the real church is. And they all were seemingly convincible they were the real Gary. Today, there are so many churches seemingly convincible they are the church. But the only one who truly knew who Gary was was Gary. And the only one who truly knows who the real church is is God. And at the end of the show, when it was time to reveal who the real Gary was, the host would say, would the real Gary stand up? 
And I've come to tell you in these last days, in the last times, when it's time to reveal the church, I hear God shouting, will the real church stand up? Would you stand up if you believe you're a part of the real church this morning and give God praise that you're a part of the body of Christ? Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. What a privilege to be a part of the body of Christ. You may be seated. John 10 and 14. I'm going to start with this. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there should be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I laid down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Elder Marvin, would you pray this morning, please? Amen. I'm going to start out, like I said, talking about the body of Christ first, establishing it. When we're born from day one, our flesh begins dying. And our spirit is dead and we're born into sin. Until we are saved and born again. By asking Jesus Christ into our hearts to forgive us of our sins. It's then we are redeemed and become what we call blood-bought Christians. We become these new creatures in Christ. We are now a part of the body of Christ. Born again, spiritually speaking, our spirits are now alive, but our flesh is still dying and still aging every day. But we are alive on the inside. All of this because what Christ did at Calvary, our spirit today is alive. When he laid down his life, his body was crucified according to John 10 verse 18. He laid down his body so he could pick it back up. He said, no one takes it from me. No one's going to take my life. No one's forcing me, but I lay it down on my, of myself. He says, and I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to pick it up again. This command I have received from my Father. Now, you got to get this. He laid down his body for you, his body, that now includes you. Oh, come on now. You didn't get that. We are now the body of Christ because he laid down his body because he died for our sins so we could be a part of his body. He crucified his body so we could become a part of his body. And I can't explain it any simpler than that. To this very day, his body continues to grow. Every time someone gives their heart to Jesus, they're adopted into his body, the family of God, whereby they can cry out, Abba, Father. So let me begin to get to where I'm going with this thing. You may like this so far. I don't know how you're going to feel about it by the time I get done. You know, I want to say some things to you. I never accepted a call to preach for the purpose of being popular. I agreed to do it solely based upon the purpose to help someone else receive the privilege I have had to know Jesus. I don't play games. I'm often accused of being too serious, and I have to confess I'm guilty of those charges. Because when you see me standing here before you, with the responsibility of being obedient to God to deliver his words, I'm totally serious. 
I don't play no games. I don't play church. This isn't something I just do for a spotlight. I've come to speak life. I've come to preach Christ. I'm trying to help somebody get their life restored, help somebody find hope this morning. I'm trying to lead them to Christ. I'm trying to encourage them to surrender to God. I'm here to tell them the truth and nothing but the truth. Amen. I'm here to tell you the church is not a game. It's not something you can cheat at to win. It's not something you can make up your own rules for. It's not just something you get together with your friends on, on the weekend to socialize and have fun playing. You can't roll the dice and be a Christian. There is no get out of hell free cards. There are a lot of games that can entertain you and your children, but this ain't no game. There's folks dying who don't know God, and there's folks who are dying because they do know God. They tell me to lighten up. Well, I can't. Now, if you want me to come over to your house to play Monopoly and eat some coconut cream pie and cut up and laugh, that's one thing I can do. But when I walk in here, I'm not here to play. I'm on a mission from God. So stay with me this morning and hear the word of the Lord. So with us now establishing that when you are saved, truly saved, transformed, you are a part of the body of Christ. So for Christ to give his life, a man who knew no sin but yet was willing to die for our sins because his father commanded him to, the only way he could have done it was through obedience to God. He surrendered to God's will for his life, and church, it wasn't so simple. In the garden, he even said and prayed, Lord, if there be any other way to let this cup pass over me, please do. In other words, if there's any other way, these people can be saved from the death of sin other than me dying a brutal death on that cross, would you do that instead, God? But when God let him know this was the only way, that he would become the only way to be redeemed, that with his life he would pay for their sins, he surrendered through obedience, he went to the cross, he submitted to his father's authority. So he did it knowing that what he would do and sacrifice would save the world. And that on the third day, he would arise, and now as we accept him as our Savior, we are now his body. If his body had to be obedient to his heavenly Father, then why, as his body, do we have so much trouble being obedient to God? If he learned obedience through his sufferings, why can't we? If he had to suffer for our bodies, why can't we suffer for his? If there's one thing the body of Christ has got to get right, is learning how to be obedient to the voice of God. Now, here it comes. Because he gave his life for his body, he should be able to dictate to his body, and the body ought to be able to obey the voice of God. Because he's overcome the world, so we should be able to overcome the world. Because that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that raised you from the dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And if we are the body and Christ dwelleth in me, then why do we have such a hard time obeying God? In this chapter, John 10, Jesus is saying, I've been given a charge to lay my body down for God's people. And then on the third day, pick it back up. And God's people will be a part of my body. And then I will be the way, the truth, and life for all. So as a part of the body of Christ, because you accepted Christ as your Savior, when your life is in order and you're not obeying, and it's out of order, you're hurting the body of Christ. If the power of God is to operate in your life, then you have to submit to his authority. And when he's saying to your life, stop it, 
don't do that, don't go there. When he's ordering your steps and you're refusing to obey him, you need to check yourself. When conviction don't persuade you no more, you got to ask yourself, am I really a part of his body? Have I not truly been transformed? Or have I just been playing church to where I changed some things, but I haven't truly been transformed? If we come to church on Sunday and we live our lives as we please on Monday, then I want to tell you something. The message of grace has been stretched too far, and it's been taken out of context. Because if this Bible works, then what you're trying to tell me is there's no power in his word when you're disobedient, when you don't care what God says about you. Well, I beg to differ. It is the infallible, unadulterated word of God. His word is what convicted me to understand that I am a sinner and that I was in need of a savior. And if the lifestyle he demands goes against the lifestyle you desire to live, then I predict to you that you have not truly been saved. It's one thing to struggle while living for Christ, but it's another to not want to overcome the struggle for Christ. Jesus said, I have to obey the Father. I had to submit my life to him. I've had to tear my flesh to let my spirit take over and control of my body. Do you know as a believer inside of you is Christ? And I can hear the spirit of God saying to the church, you're going to have to tear your flesh to let my spirit out of you and place it up on you. For some of you, your spirit's crying. I'm trapped in traditions, and I'm trapped in religion and formalities and self-righteousness. You must be willing to crucify your flesh to obey his commands. There's a reason why revival can't break out in the church like it used to. We won't crucify our flesh. It's always getting in the way. Disobedience is bringing opposition to the church. Now, I'm going to talk a lot today about opposition. Our world is facing opposition like ever before, and so is the church. Now, what I talked about is going to ring true for what I'm fixing to say. There are many forces that are opposing the church, and God is really wanting to speak to the church. To give warning, the church is on the brink of facing the greatest opposition as in the days of old. There is rising a coup against the body of Christ led by Satan to silence the church. I want to tell you something. There's more than just a sect of our society that is coming to the conclusion that the church is the restraining force to their ungodly humanistic agendas. That not religion in itself is opposing their liberal agendas, but Christianity in itself is the real problem. You know, them holy rollers. They've got no problem with religion. They just have no tolerance for a Christian. Their agenda, like Satan's, is they want to worship authority over God's church through the government. Attack those who are truly committed to God. The church, the genuine church, not the counterfeit church. Do we realize you cannot, you cannot have a counterfeit unless there is something that's real? See, in China, they have a church, a government-run church. It appears to be a church. It looks like one. But they're not the church. They are sanctioned and censored by the government and not by God. The real church in China is underground, in basements of homes and back rooms and storefronts, hid out and persecuted by the government, looked upon as a threat to their communist doctrine, which oppresses and controls society by violence against its people, beating them daily into submission if necessary, driven by demonic foes, 
idol worshipers that worship Baal and Deborah, the goddess of sex, and submit to a totalitarian regimen. But in the midst of their opposition, as millions of other Christians in many other countries that persecute Christians as well, the presence of God is not diminished. It is actually becoming a weapon of mass destruction to the evil in their countries. It's genuine. It's the authentic power of God. Nothing is simulated or manipulated. I want to tell you, I've been there. The ground shakes, the furniture moves, the lame walk, the blinded eyes see, and the dead arise by peasants, the least unlikely of their society, but are sold out to Jesus Christ. The, op the opposition is fierce, but the more the enemy tries to stomp it out, the more it grows. The enemy has to learn they cannot usurp authority over our God. Pharaoh learned it after 10 plagues. He finally had no choice but to let God's people go. The real hindrance to the secular progression of our nation that is desired by the agnostic and atheistic and liberal mindsets is the church. The blood-bought church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, is their hindrance. And all the oppression and the aggression that's coming against us is being authored by the prince of this world, the prince of darkness, who has an agenda which begins in the heavens when he was created by God to glorify him in worship. In the book of Isaiah, it tells us Satan, Lucifer, was God's worship leader in the heaven. And he was a beautiful angel. It started out great. He was gifted and he was talented, made to be fruit, beautiful music that brought God glory. But through time, he delivered a desire to urge authority over God's authority, so he rebelled against God. I want to tell you, hear me clear, rebellion is witchcraft. Angering God to the point of casting him out of the heavens, relieving him of his position, along with one-third of the angels who followed him. What angered God was the audacity for anything he has created to urge authority over him and rebel against his authority. It angers him when those who stand and appear to worship him, but they can't obey him. Your praise and your worship isn't bringing him glory and honor while you're in direct rebellion to the obedience of God. You're not bringing God glory. You're actually magnifying Satan and mocking God because rebellion is a form of witchcraft. And you are bringing that spirit into this body if you are a part of it. And that's what causes schism and division in the body of Christ. Now, I'm here to tell you one of the greatest warfares of the church is disobedience. People wanting to be lukewarm and they want to straddle the fence pick and choose what they want to obey and not obey. Satan is sowing tares in the church to tear up the church. And you are being deceived when you think you can sit in this house of God in your rebellion and claim to be a Christian. When you think you're honoring God, you're really honoring Satan. And he's sitting back saying, look at her or him. He's jumping, he's shouting, he's dancing. And I even got her feeling goosebumps. She thinks she's pleasing God and he ain't even listening. And she's going to be one of those who stand before God on judgment day and say, hey, God, it's me. And he's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never even knew you. She says, but God, I danced for you and I sang for you. And there will be one there who will say, come here, girl. You're mine and laugh at you. See, falling out of the sky, Lucifer and his angels became nothing more than demonic foes. Resided upon this earth and in a desire to be like God, set up a kingdom upon this earth. 
waiting to rule and reign and destroy everything upon this earth that worship God. He too, like God, wants to be worshiped. And the battle between good and evil began. So therefore, since the beginning of this earth, in which God created everything in it, including man, at the beginning of creation, Satan deceived Adam, the first of man, in an effort to destroy God's plan of mankind here upon the earth. Adam's sin opened the door for sin to enter to the heart of every man, born, and curse of death came upon every man. Satan came to kill, steal, and destroy God's plan for mankind. Fallen man became an enmity with God. But as every believer here today knows, God devised a plan to reconcile man back to God through his son, Jesus, who upon an old rugged cross was crucified, shed his blood, and gave his life to pay for the sins of mankind, to once again make a way that mankind can once again be reconciled back to God. And in his death, he went to the bowels of hell, took the keys to death, held in the grave out of the hands of Satan. And on the third day, he arose victorious, conquering death, hell, and the grave. Hallelujah. Give him praise. But the battle's still not over. Satan still goes around like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. This war is a spiritual battle that has raged for many a years, but what is different now than then? The battle is raging stronger due to the fact that the enemy knows his days are shortening, that Christ is fixing to come back for his church. He knows and we should know that we are living in the last days. And due to his effort to destroy as many as he can, we're living in a perilous times as promised to come by God's words, which were found in 2 Timothy chapter 3. This know also that in the last day, perilous days and times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to their parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power of in which some turn away. And there is something standing in Satan's way, and it's called the church, the body of Christ. No matter how hard he persecutes the church, the church will not surrender. We are hindering his agenda by the power of God. We are canceling out his assignments. Like in the days of Stephen, when they stoned him in an effort to destroy the church, the church scattered, and instead of dissolving the church, it just simply grew bigger and bigger. I'm talking about the spirit-filled church. I'm not talking about seeker-friendly, let's all just get along. Churches, there's more than one way, and there's many gods, those kind of churches. I'm talking about the old ship of Zion, tattered and battered, but you can't sink it because it's God's ship. It's the good old gospel ship, and if God be for us, who can be against us? It is the restraining force that we cannot afford to lose. Church, we can't afford to be silent anymore as a church. I got something to show you, what God showed me yesterday afternoon. My ministry is changing so much, something is rising up in me. I'm not even sure how to operate in this thing just yet, so I'm trying to do my best here. I want to reference something first that might help with what I'm trying to say to you today. I want to talk about Hosea for a second. Hosea was a prophet of Israel. 
who prophesied just before the destruction of Israel. He was commanded by God to marry a prostitute and bear children. Why? As a public example unto the nations to show them how, he, how God, he, viewed their relationships with him. To show them that their nation had become an adulterous nation. They had turned their backs on him. And because of it, he was going to bring destruction upon them. To show them what was forthcoming soon in their days. And this is one of many other examples I could have used to show you. There were times God would use examples of leaders to show to those who were watching of things to come. In other words, what they were facing, the nation would be facing. Okay, here we go. Lord, help me right here to make this clear. Some of what I'm fixing to say is not me trying to be political or endorse anyone. I'm going to try to make an example, as God did with Hosea, to show us what I believe God is saying to the church at this hour. You know, I'm assuming a lot of responsibility to stand here and say some of the things I'm fixing to say, but I must. As a nation, we are facing times we've never seen before. We as a nation have never experienced before. They're, they're so unprecedented, the things we're facing as a nation. Sin is rampant. Evil's being exposed as never before as we learn through God's word. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. Our government is now so corrupt, it's shameful. Our forefathers would be shocked to think it ever got this bad. But I want to tell you something. It's all being exposed for a reason. Because power and wealth have tainted the hearts of men and women in power. We are now legislating sinful acts. Men marrying men, and women can marry women. Abortion, the murder of innocent babies continues, whose lives were purposed to be prophets and teachers and evangelists, moms and dads, something special with a purpose. Before they was ever formed in their mother womb, God had a plan for them. Sexual immorality is on the rise. Perversion is rampant. Child trafficking has come to every state in our nation. We're legalizing drugs. Religious freedoms are being attacked like never before. Suicide deaths are rising. Just recently, it, it, made, it went viral. There was a pastor of a huge church suffering from depression. They gave him a sabbatical, but he came back for two more sermons, and after that, he committed suicide. We've had a former president declaring we are no longer a Christian nation, and even recently claiming we have no need of a savior. And I think years ago that God exposed a sitting president to show our nation sexual immorality had made its way all the way to the highest office in our nation. And because we've done little about it, it has grew beyond measure. And now, day after day, senators and congressmen, men and women alike, CEOs of large corporations are being exposed to show the nation we are in trouble now more than ever. And we as a church have sat silent way too long, afraid to talk about the real issues facing our nation. 
And the church has got to arise and shine and let our voice be one of crying in the wilderness and let the sinful world know there's one coming after us whom we aren't even worthy to tie his shoes. Hallelujah. Sin is so rampant as is drug abuse. There's not a family on this earth that isn't affected by it anymore. Suicides on the rise. People giving up. We have preachers resigning the churches faster than we can get them ordained. And it's only just begun. Because the opposition coming is going to separate the wheat from the chaff, the genuine from the counterfeit, God's church and man's church. You aren't going to be a part of the body of Christ if you aren't tough enough to suffer it. You're going to have to go somewhere else if you just want to play church, if you just want to be entertained because it looks good on your resume or someplace where it's all about your image. Well, I'm here to tell you the real church ain't going to make you look pretty. It won't be for the weak and the unfaithful, but I'm here to tell you it'll be powerful. It won't be seeker friendly because it's going to cost you something. It did Christ. You better listen to me. A good economy alone isn't our answer. Sometimes that's what we are when we are the worst, when we got everything and we think we have no need of God. Money can't buy you love. Money can't buy you happiness or a ticket to heaven. And Jesus said, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. I've said it. I prophesize it, and I won't quit saying it. Something's moving. Something's changing. There's a shift taking place, and it's coming down to good versus evil. And I am thankful this morning that I am on the Lord's side. Anybody else beside me? I tell you, though they slay me, I will trust him. They're trying right now in California to outlaw Bibles. So let me prepare you. You better get the word of God down in your heart now. But the first thing you better do is make sure you got Jesus down in your heart first. That you've had a real conversion. See, that's a real problem with that nowadays in the church. Folks claiming to be, claiming to be Christians just simply because they go to church. Anybody can go to church. The devil goes to church. Anybody can learn the word of God. The devil knows the word of God. There's only one way to be saved, and that's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. There's a problem and opposition the church is facing now that is growing, and it's called disobedience. It ought not be in the life of a true believer. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth, not through emotions, not while in rebellion. What am I saying? You can't be up here shouting, singing, and dancing while you're being disobedient to God. If that's you, the first thing you need to do when you come in them doors on Sunday morning, find the altar before you ever start to try to praise him. Because it doesn't glorify him. Your praise doesn't move him to inhabit you because sin separates you from God and it don't draw him to you. If you are a part of the body of Christ, then when you're living in rebellion, you are hurting the body. How's that? I'll say it again. I want to say it several times today. Rebellion is witchcraft, and you're bringing that stuff in here. You're like Achan, who hid his sin, his sin in the tent, and it affected the whole nation. How is it we can claim to be a part of the body of Christ, 
but we cannot obey the voice of God. If we think we can live one way on Sunday and another on Monday, you better check yourself and make sure you've had a real conversion and you have more than just the knowledge of God. That you just didn't change a few things to make you look better than you are in the eyes of your peers. But that you have been transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you're saved, you won't want to do what you used to do. You won't want to talk like you used to talk. You won't want to go where you used to go. You will obey the voice of God. When conviction no longer causes you to change, then we stretch grace way too far. The Bible says if we should sin, didn't say when we sin, didn't say we would sin, but from the perspective, if we stumble or if we get snared, when it's not intentional or our desire to, we have an advocate with the Father. And if you're really saved, you won't want to sin intentionally. The days of sitting in a church under the power of the Word of God and not being changed over are over. You can keep coming and thinking you're okay by your standards, but I want to remind you, all of us one day, when we stand before a righteous God, we will be judged by his standard and not ours. Now, I'm not trying to be hard. I'm trying to help someone to understand things are changing. I don't care how you've done church for the last 20 years. The time is at hand. Jesus Christ is coming back for the church without spot or blemish. Now, God is graceful and God is long-suffering. He judges the intent of the heart. You can fool man all you want, but you can't fool God. Now, i got to move on. I believe God is showing us something once again through the leadership of our country. I'm going to speak this prophetically to you. We have one of the most unbelievable presidencies in all of our history. And I believe the church better take notice. Because I think God is signaling us as he signaled Israel through Hosea. I've never seen a president face the amount of opposition this president is facing ever. It's unprecedented. They are gradually proving there was a planned effort to destroy him before and even now after the election. I've never seen, though, a president in my lifetime, ever to my knowledge, who isn't a Christian, be so supported by the church. He's been attacked. His family's been attacked. The media has conducted openly an all-out attack on him, producing false reports and accusations. What caused all of this? We elected a president is doing his best to stand up for the church, for Israel, for our religious freedoms and our constitutional rights. Help me, Lord. No matter what he does, no matter how good or even moral, he gets slammed, falsely accused. And yet I've never seen a president stand so strong day after day, no matter what they say, no matter what comes his way. And I believe God has put this on an open public display as he used Hosea to show the church that the same kind of opposition he has faced is just a matter of time that the church will face the same type of opposition from our enemy. That we're fixing to come under the greatest assault the church has ever seen. 
And God is saying, just as he has stood strong day after day, no matter what comes his way, no matter what the world says, as much as he believes simply in our country and willing to fight and defend her, we as Christians are going to have to stand firm in our faith in God that we believe in and declare that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And that when the enemy comes in like a flood, our God shall raise up a standard. He became present against all odds. And his opposition is greater than just a senator with a different ideal. It's witchcraft. It's spiritual wickedness in high places. It's men and women being driven by evil forces. And I'm here to tell you that they are going to come to the ultimate conclusion very soon. Their real opposition is God and his church. And in doing so, though, church, get ready. Because we're fixing to hear the war cry of our enemy. But I got news for him. If God be for us, who can be against us? You can take his name off the government buildings. You can take it out of the schools. You can tear down every symbol. But they're going to learn you can't take Jesus out of our hearts. Why? Because there is a true church. The genuine church that's just not plain church, but it's under the lordship of our commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. And if you persecute us, you'll find out like Saul did, you are persecuting him, and it's always been his desire to show himself strong on our behalf. It ain't a time to cower down. It's simply just time to become committed and submitted to the authority of God and quit being disobedient to his word. With what we're fixing to face, I'm not glooming and dooming. I am prophesying that there's a battle on the horizon. But the battle's not ours. It's the Lord's. Our battle is going to be staying in obedience and in a relationship with the God of our battle during this time of opposition. Read the Bible, church. You have nothing to fear. We win. And this is what I heard God speak to me. That opposition is coming soon. Mark it down. We better speak up and better prepare to be God's army. But here's what is really troubling to me. As I said, there's never been anything like this presidency before. Never so fought and viciously attacked, plotting and lying, conspiring to take him out. His enemy, his opposition is fierce. They were shocked. How could he have won? We had the money. We had the pose. They were prepared for the celebration. But here comes this guy out of nowhere, not even a politician. They are searching everything. They're turning over every stone to get an answer. How could this happen? Because it's destroying their liberal agenda. This man is trying to set the house back in order. We can't have it. He's canceling assignments, and he's canceling our plans and deals. They're, they're saying, we got to stop him. I know what was happening. The church was praying for God to raise up a leader that would help stop the immoral agenda, bringing consequences to our lives daily. Now, I'll go ahead and clear it up. I'm aware he wasn't a godly leader, but read your Bible. He's used ungodly people forward to carry out his agenda. 
God knew who he needed. He may not have been a godly leader yet, but it ain't over yet. His enemy thinks he's done all this stuff to them. No, God has just simply just used him to attack them, a man who had the guts to. But slowly, they are figuring out the conservatives and the Christians showed up and voted. So as I say, soon and very soon, there's going to come a time they're going to put the blame on the Christians and get ready for the attacks, church. God's ready, but we've got to come to decide which side we're going to stand on. And God is saying today, you're either for me or you're against me. You're either a part of the body of Christ or you're not. And it's time and an hour to make a decision. You cannot serve two masters. You better get ready. You're going to be tried with fire. They're cutting off heads of Christians in foreign countries. Men and women, though, who counted an honor to die as a martyr for Christ. That are willing to suffer for the cause of the kingdom. But here, something else I want us to see. What's so different about his opposition is, it's not only from the other party. It's even from his own party within. And that's unprecedented. They call it the deep state. We've always seen it come from the opposite party, but not so strong within the party itself. Here's what I believe. I believe opposition to the church is going to come from the world. Worse than we've ever seen it. But I also want you to see, I believe some of the greatest opposition is going to come sadly from within the church. Opposition unlike before. See, the church has always faced opposition from the world, but never so much from within. I think it's going to be some of the greatest yet for us to overcome. And I believe this is what God is showing us, is that there's a true church, and that there's a counterfeit church created by our enemy, and it's going to be our deep state. I believe Pentecost is going to be opposed like never before from within and from outside. And if you've been watching and paying attention for the past several years, in the United States, the power of Pentecost has been fading. Yet it's still strong in our foreign countries. The persecutions actually propelled their commitment to Christ. Miracles unlike we've ever seen are happening over there. Thousands are being led to Christ. And, but yet you can visit many churches in America who claim to be Pentecost. And you're going to find the zeal and the fire of the Holy Ghost is missing. That they have become passive, complacent, and lethargic. You can't even tell they're Pentecost. New structures have been built with new concepts, such as seeker-friendly facilities, where sin con isn't condemned. Hell's never mentioned. The watering down of the gospel. Preachers preaching simply to itching ears, and it's drawing large crowds. They're having a form of godliness, but they're denying the power thereof. As in the old days, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the religious crowd, always falsely accused Jesus and the disciples, attacked him and their character, violently, often persecuting them, is arising again. I believe God is showing us through the highest office of our nation, the condition of our country, the degree of evil arising in our land. 
the plotting and the planning that's already taken place to destroy America. That what we see taking place in the White House is going to take place soon in the church house. Today, they want to remove and silence the president, but tomorrow when he's gone, they will want to remove and silence the church. And we must prepare for the battle. We must be united. And the reason I believe Pentecost is going to be so viciously attacked is because it will possess the power of God as it always has. It will never be stomped out even if the flame has diminished down to an ember because the fire of Pentecost is once again going to be ignited. God's fixing to fan the fire like never before. Churches are going to come back alive. Pentecost is going to bring revival once again in our nation. And no matter how dark it gets, through the power of Pentecost, he has given us the power to be his witnesses in the most evil of times. The church will never be removed until God tells his son, Jesus, go get his people. Physicians, would you come? I'll talk to you a little bit more, but that was just not going to be long. I might have said a lot of things for some maybe too strong to hear it and receive it. But I've said everything out of love by God's command. But I saved the best for last. See, a lot of what I said was probably discouraging. But let me make it all hopeful for the church. Would you stand with me?